Good morning, everyone. We've been looking at um, Peter's instructions to Christians about how Christians should behave in this world. And we continue that theme today by looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, um, beginning at verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thanks so much for saying hello to each other. I've got a friend called uh, David Cook. He's a pastor who used to work in New South Wales. Uh, He used to comment that in churches on Mother's Day, uh, mothers would always be treated like royalty and fated and uh, uh, treated as wonderful, as they should be, of course, Uh, But he said, when you got to Father's Day, generally the message for fathers in churches was, come on, you guys, you know, step up, work harder, you know, get your act together. And uh, sort of, you know, one praise, one beat about the head. And you may be thinking that's why I've chosen to speak on slavery today, you know, uh, that uh, uh, this has some connection with uh, fathers, but not true. Uh, Actually, it has not much to do with with fathers at all, uh, at least very indirectly. But let me pray, because it is, it's a tricky part of the Bible, I think, challenging part of the Bible. So let me pray as we uh, we tuck into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it's uh, you speaking to our minds and hearts about life and your purposes for us. And Father, we ask that you'll help us to hear, uh, even as we grapple with a message that seems sort of keeping uh, with our culture and understanding. Help us to understand what you've got to say to us through your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a confronting part of the Bible, isn't it? Uh, slaves, submit to your masters. Slaves, submit to your masters. That's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. And instinctively, I think you find yourself thinking, that can't be right, you know. It can't be right that we'd read this in the Bible. How can it be appropriate uh, that slaves are encouraged to submit to masters? And then it gets worse. 
Okay? Because as you read on, it encourages slaves to submit to masters who are harsh and unjust. So what do you do when you come to a bit of the Bible that just seems to be wrong? Okay, what do you do? So one one possibility is just to ignore it, uh, move on to the next verse or section, you know, 2 Peter, which you find a little more palatable. That, That might be one way of doing it. Another is to reinterpret it to say what you think it should say. You know, I know that it says slaves ought to submit to their masters, uh, but when you examine the original language and you take into account the difference between the historical and cultural settings, what it's really saying is uh, slaves should strive for justice, uh, sorry, Christians should strive for justice in the abolition of slavery. You know? um, but of course that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, it's a challenging bit of the Bible, uh, not in the sense that it's, it's actually hard to understand. I think it's actually pretty straightforward what it's saying, but it confronts our 21st century uh, philosophical and cultural presuppositions. So what I'm going to do is take a, a closer look at it, see if we can wrestle with it and understand uh, what God is saying to us through his word and saying to us today through his word. So chapter 2, verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh. Now why doesn't the Apostle Peter just oppose slavery? Uh, 2019 marked the 400th anniversary of the first recorded transportation of an African slave to North America. Now, you'll be aware that just 18 months ago there were international Black Lives Matter marches, uh, protests across the world that were triggered by the, uh, the death of George Floyd in the United States. Here, 1 Peter 2, uh, we see the word slavery And I think it, it, not surprisingly, conjures up images of Africans kidnapped, uh, transported in ships in inhumane conditions with a high death rate to live in servitude and abuse in a foreign country. Okay, that's the picture that I think this, this passage triggers for us. So why doesn't the Apostle Peter, why doesn't he seem to get this Well, I think one of the reasons is because slavery in the first century uh, in Rome had a totally different character. It it was non-racial to start with, uh, non-permanent. Often slaves could get out of slavery. And it was normal. So it's estimated that about 50% of people in the Roman Empire were slaves. But if you went to Rome, it was actually as high as 80%. It was uh, endemic as a cultural uh, feature. Often slaves who got into debt uh, couldn't repay that debt and so they chose to enslave themselves to somebody to deal with the debt that was hanging over their head. Slaves in this culture held significant managerial, household control positions. They were often uh, teachers in a household sort of context. They had professional roles. In fact, it's interesting in verse 18, uh, the passage we're looking at, the word used for slave in our translation is actually household servant. 
But when you go back to verse 16 in that passage, you've got it open in front of you, what you see there is the word is different. It actually is the slave word. Two different words used to try and give nuance here. Slaves were often paid, uh, and that was actually one of the ways in which by uh, that means they could then buy themselves out of slavery in due course. But here's the thing. They were still abused, and that's even clear from the passage we're looking at this morning. It actually builds into it the sense of uh, people suffering in that situation. And slaves were still the property of another person. And that runs totally counter to what the Bible says about human dignity in the eyes of God. Right? So different sort of slavery, but nonetheless uh, hugely problematic. And then you think, well, why doesn't Peter actually refer to the, the wider teaching in the New Testament, for example, on the problems of slavery? You know, if we go to a place like Galatians chapter 2 or Colossians 3, uh, slaves here, we're told, have the same status in the church and before God as non-slaves. That's very egalitarian for the time. If you go to Ephesians 6 or Colossians 4, uh, masters are told to, to treat their slaves with respect, uh, but not the message here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Or in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul condemns slave trading. If you go to 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 20 following, slaves are encouraged to acquire their freedom if they can. So did you know, Peter miss out in the apostolic memo that was headed, we are against slavery, you know, like did he sort of, he have a sort of sleepy moment or something? I don't think so. I don't think that is what's going on here. So what I'm going to do is with you just take a step back and try and examine this part of God's word in its context, particularly in this letter. Okay, think through what it is saying and then try and work out some implications for us uh, for today. So how does this section fit into this, uh, the flow of the letter of 1 Peter so far? Back in chapter 1, uh, we, we've uh, read earlier, it's all about the wonderful salvation that's ours in Christ. We've been brought into the family of God, with God as our Heavenly Father. When you get to chapter 2, verses 4 to 10, we're told that our vocation in this world, if we're followers of Jesus, is to be God's ambassadors in the world. That's our job. Uh, from chapter 2, verse 11 and following, we're to turn our minds as to how to engage a world that doesn't believe in Jesus, how to do that, that well. So in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The picture is how we commend Jesus to others so that when Jesus returns, they might have put their trust in him. So how do we do that? What then follows are three case studies on how to put this into practice. The first one is to uh, how we treat unbelieving rulers and governors as Christians and uh, Meredith picked up on that in the kids' talk just a moment ago. Today we think about how Christian slaves commend the gospel to non-Christian masters and next week we'll talk about uh, how Christian spouses commend the gospel to non-Christian spouses. All right, three examples for how this principle works itself out. So today, 
out of Christian slaves commend Jesus to their non-Christian masters. What I want to do is take a closer look at these verses from verse 18 following. So if you've got a Bible open in front of you, that'll be handy, but if not, I'm sure we'll get there. Okay. Slaves are told to have reverent fear of God. You pick it up in verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. So here's the controlling idea. Believers fear God. They respect God. They want what God wants for us and that dominates our thinking about our life and purpose. You get the same idea back in verse 16 of the letter. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Right, so the, the big drumbeat here is to live as a slave of God, whether you're a slave or a free person. Right, that, that's the strong idea. It's your first priority in life to honour God. And at this point, it doesn't matter about gender or wealth or age or status. Yeah, live for God. Every single person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus, by definition, is a slave. Right? That's the understanding. Then it talks about submitting even when you're treated unjustly. Verse 18, submit not only to those that are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And then it goes on in verse 19 and says, it's commendable if you bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because you're conscious of God. Okay, so does our suffering somehow please God? No, it doesn't. But when we do good in our service of God and we suffer for it, it's commendable before God. That's the point being made. Then in verses 21 to 25, we're reminded that that's actually exactly what happened to Jesus. Um, Let me say Christianity is so unusual among the world religions at this point. Most religions, they celebrate what their founders taught or did or their life example. But Christians, we celebrate the fact that our founder suffered and died. Totally different. Verse 21. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We're told in verse 21, Christ suffered for our sins. Uh, By his suffering and death, uh, we're forgiven. Uh, We can't suffer for our own sins. That's a useless waste of time. And nor can we suffer for anybody else's. But we are to follow Christ's example at this point. We actually suffer willingly for the benefit of other people. That's the point that's being made. Now, in this case, if we just bring down the focus, Christian slaves are prepared to suffer if it commends Jesus to their non-Christian masters. They're willing to pay that price for the sake of the commendation of the gospel. There's this quote in verse 22 from Isaiah 53. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. It's interesting, back in verse 11 of chapter 2, Believers have been told to abstain from sinful desires. Now, can I say, it is very hard not to sin when you're being sinned against. 
At least that's what I find. When people mistreat you or disrespect you or try and damage your reputation or harm you in some way, when that happens to you, don't you want to pay back? Don't you want to you know, hit back? Don't you find your heart and your mind are filled with rage at the injustice that you suffer at somebody else's hand? I think that that's, that's pretty normal and natural. But, but just notice, again, the example of Jesus. Verse 23. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. But when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So even when you're being treated unjustly, unfairly, the main issue is not the fact that you're being sinned against or harmed or damaged in some way. It's not about your rights and the way in which you're being treated. See, the big question we're being told here is what will contribute to the salvation of the person who is abusing me or others who are watching on to see the way in which I react? Isn't that quite extraordinary, don't you think? To our 21st century minds, it is a strange way to think about mistreatment. It really does run counter. And I know it begs lots of questions, but that's the principle that undergirds what's going on here. So, what I want to do for a few moments, what I've tried to do is just work our way through what's being said here Uh, What I want to do just for a few moments is to think about what this means for us in 21st century Australia, Golden Grove, right now, in our day-to-day lives. So let me say, first of all, if you count yourself a Christian, then you are a slave. (laughs) That's who you are. The title of this talk, I think, was Does the Bible Commend Slavery? And the answer to that question is, yes, it does. It does. Chapter 2, verse 16. It says, live as God's slaves. So you understand it is commending slavery. Not the African racial slavery that, that you pick up in our culture, but it is picking up on the way in which Christians identify themselves in this world. I remember reading a story about some 18th century missionaries Johann Dobler, David Nitschmann, two Germans who were sent out by the Moravian Christian Brethren Church to evangelise in the West Indies, uh, particularly African slaves who were working on the plantations there. When they arrived, they made incredible efforts to try and connect with these slaves working on those plantations, but the slaves were incredibly busy all day and they just couldn't get any access to share the gospel. And so what they did was they sold themselves into slavery so they could work alongside these African slaves and share the gospel with them. Uh, quite an extraordinary thing. They saw that they were slaves of Christ, so they were prepared to become slaves of men in order to share the gospel with others. That's the picture being presented for us here. I'm not saying the example, but the picture 
of how we see ourselves. You see, the big issue as we think about life in this world is not so much justice for ourselves, but that people are saved. Now, how how does this work in 21st century Australia when we don't have slavery? How does that work? I think the first thing to do is to think about the fact that we are to fear God and, for example, not the bosses that we work for. Uh, That's to be our first thing. I remember when uh, Sue was working in a legal office at one stage and she came out into the office and heard one of the people answering the phone saying, I'm sorry, Mrs Harrington is not in the office right now and can't take your call with Sue standing right in front of her. (laughs) And uh, Sue said to her, look, I get why you've done that, but I don't don't want you to lie in relation to that. Just say I'm unavailable. You see, that, that always we're fearing God as we operate in the workplace rather than fearing people and what they might think. Let me give you a slightly different example. Say you're working uh, part-time in a business. That's a really big thing right now. People working uh, casual hours and you're being paid on an hourly rate. Let's say your boss in that employment situation clips your hours and signs you off early, thereby just cheating you out of money. Okay. What do you do? Say you're a believer. What do you do in that situation? You would have industrial and legal options available to you. Do you pursue those sort of options or not? I mean, what does submission to an unjust boss in 21st century Australia look like? What do we do? Well, can I say if you're a believer, what you'll want to do, first of all, is commend the gospel to the boss who is ripping you off. That is the first priority in the situation. And you would be willing to suffer loss if you were able to achieve that. So what should you do? Uh, when it comes to actions, I don't think it normally helps to allow people to sin against you if you can do something about that. I don't think that normally helps the person who is sinning. Here's what I think I would do, but I'm just throwing it out there. Okay, first thing I'd probably do is speak to my boss and talk to him about the situation. So the boss doesn't listen, what do you do then? If it's possible, I'd speak to the boss's boss. I'd take it up the line. Uh, say you don't get any satisfaction that way, I think I would explore legal, legal options. I think that's a reasonable thing to do in the situation. However, let me, let me say something about attitude and manner, which I think is really critical. Your manner would be full of integrity and grace and gentleness, even though you're being mistreated. Because what you're wanting to do is commend the gospel to something else. See, the most important thing is not that you get paid what you're owed, that your boss is hauled before and uh, uh, treated harshly before some industrial tribunal. That isn't your goal. The big goal is that the person ripping you off is drawn closer to the Lord Jesus. That should be goal.
remember talking to um, someone I knew in one of the Trinity churches who was working in the in the um, uh, in an office sort of context, and she was treating being treated incredibly harshly by some of the colleagues that she was working with, and a few of the people that she had responsibility for. And her boss said to her, "You're treating them better than they deserve." but I suppose that's because you go to church. Isn't that a lovely commendation of a difference in behaviour because she was a follower of Jesus? Let me move on. Uh, We are to entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. Verse 23 says that when Jesus was heading to the cross, he suffered and he was insulted And yet, verse 23, he didn't retaliate and he made no threats. Uh, Here he is, Jesus, you know, God among us. He made the universe, he's given us life and breath and absolutely everything we have. And he is treated extraordinarily shabbily. And he could have obliterated them with just a word. Total destruction, but he didn't. He died for their sins, our sins. Verse 23, we're told this. Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Injustice is built into our present age. Uh, We will all suffer injustice and mistreatment. And can I say, if this world is all there is, then you ought to avoid that as much as you possibly can. If this is all there is, steer away from it at all costs. But it isn't. See, the Bible's really clear there is a day of ultimate justice coming. That is the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and we entrust ourselves into the hands of him who will judge justly on that day and we're confident Uh, that he will deal fairly with everybody. It's an interesting passage, isn't it? All about slavery and freedom. John Stuart Mill was a 19th century philosopher. Uh, He was a a founding father of modern Western uh, liberalism, uh, not a believer as far as I understand. He, He wrote a book called On Liberty. In it he says, says this, Over himself, over his own body and mind, the individual is sovereign. Over himself, over his own body and mind, the individual is sovereign. As far as I can tell, um, that is the mantra of 21st century Australia. That sort of autonomous, sovereign rule over my body and my rights. We saw it, didn't we, uh, during COVID? Isn't it interesting how much pushback there was and people were saying, no, my body, my rights. Then you understand that's not Christian? (laughs) It's got nothing to do with Christianity. It's secular humanism to think that way. And, And it's interesting the way in which we're so influenced by our rights and our thinking about how we operate in that space. 
I think I am free to live the way I choose, to live without interference from anybody. And then we come to this section of the Bible that instructs slaves to submit to masters. We think, whoa, how could that possibly be? Now let me say Christians will, of course, fight to abolish slavery, and they have in the past and they'll continue to do it. We line up with the Bible at this point and a long line of believers who've done that, Wilberforce, back in the 19th century. So don't hear me wrong when it comes to this question, but we know there's a bigger issue at stake. We do get that. The eternal salvation of people, and that controls the actions and thinking of all believers. They certainly control Jesus. He was brutalised, he suffered the ultimate injustice and he submitted to it for the salvation of many. And can I say, and this won't apply to all of us here today, but if you call yourself a Christian, then you see yourself as God's slave, serving his purposes in this world. And of course, of course you'll suffer loss for the sake of others. Of course you will. Christ died for you. So, of course, we're willing to die for him. Can I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word and we thank you when it, um, it really does attack core thinking and issues in our society, ones that we um, cherish and hold dear to our hearts. And yet, Father, we do pray that we'll allow your word to get under our skin and help us to think about what we've absorbed that's just cultural, uh, that's just part of our worldly way of thinking and what your word says about who we are as followers of yours. Father, we thank you this is a part of the Bible we've looked at today that does that. Help us to wrestle with these truths, to understand that we've been brought into wonderful liberty, freedom in relationship with you to serve you. And Heavenly Father, we pray you'll help us to work that out well and to honour you with the lives that we have in this world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.